Our theme today is welcoming strangers. There are two Bible readings um, today. The first from Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. The second reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveller's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will be returned to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. This is the word of the Lord. I've got my notes up the back, but if you don't mind, I'd rather just talk from the heart a bit today. and I, I might mix it up a little bit, but that's okay. Um, thank you for the welcome, and it's been great to get to know Graham and a few of your team, and uh, thank you, Graham, for um, suggesting I come. But, uh, I get to visit a, a number of different places, and each place has its own sense, and I obviously... Um, I've been praying about coming here for some time since I knew and uh, asking the Lord what he thinks about you guys and um, the word that comes to me is faithfulness. I sense he really commends you for your faithfulness that you really seek to be a loving group with each other and you're talking about how to love outside of this place as well more and more and I believe you had a really good um, session with Michael Dutchke last uh, last week and even prayer walked the area and um, perhaps by walking it out we sort of take authority over our area of influence so I really commend you for that. It's great being here, I really feel refreshed in your company. Not every group is as sort of warm and responsive <laughs> um, so it's great to relax with you. Um, I have another reason that I feel a real affinity for here and it's because uh, I spent many um, days in these suburbs. There was a period when my wife and I um, got to know the Afghan uh, newcomers that have been living here all the way through these suburbs and um, we got quite close to them and they invited us into their mosque down off Bridge Road and Every week for a long time, my wife took some Christian um, women and helped, helped the women with their English. 
And women don't really want a lesson, they just want a natter. And so they would have this great time of talking in the mosque together about life, about faith, about lots of things. Sometimes the women would just break down and weep because of their background, their concerns, and often they just wanted a hug. And Beverly was a bit older than most of them and she would just hold them. Very special times. And one thing we discovered was that the women, uh, we asked them what they'd like now that they're here in Australia. And strangely, the one thing they wanted to do was go swimming. <laughs> you can imagine there aren't too many public pools in Afghanistan for women. And they arrived here and they'd heard about swimming. They'd never been in the water. And so we were able to hire the swimming centre just down here, almost walking distance, every Sunday for a couple of years. And they would just turn up, sometimes a hundred, uh, and Christian women would join them in the water, holding them while they learnt to, to float, and they would just sort of pitch in and start trying to breathe underwater. It was <laughs> but uh, wonderful bonding times of just being with people that you normally would think you've got no affinity with, but you find heart to heart we're, we're very similar. And, uh, in the, uh, um, I think it was uh, David, uh, no, Graham asked me to send through um, a, a bit of a teaser for today. And I said there was a time when Jesus got really excited when something happened with his disciples. There's only one time in the gospel account when Jesus gets ecstatically happy about what he's seeing. Do you know when that was? It actually comes in the verses after our second reading today. Something was happening when the 70 went out that got him exceed, exceedingly happy. In verse 21, I didn't put it in the reading, but it says, At that time Jesus overflowed with joy in the Holy Spirit and prayed, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise, and you've revealed it to these babes. What was he referring to? Something new was happening, and the Trinity got involved in a conversation. He says, it was your good pleasure, Father, to do it this way. He was seeing something happen on that day. Uh, up until that point, you, you, we have the gospel story revolves around these 12 disciples and a few other sort of important people. Churches are named after them. They were the notable ones. Suddenly he switches tack. Something happens on that day in Luke 10 when 70 nameless people go out. People who've been following him but aren't really in the close inner circle. They aren't the well-educated ones but they just simply went and obeyed. I'm looking around this place, are there 70 in this room? <laughs> Roughly. <laughs> the importance of that to me, if we think we haven't got much to offer Jesus and we're not well trained, our life has never really amounted to much as a Christian. Sometimes we feel very weak in our Christian walk, 
we hardly feel like we're a Christian sometimes. If you're in that situation, you're a prime candidate to bring joy to Jesus. Don't disqualify yourself today because you think you can't do it. The single thing they did was they just went out with... He says, don't take anything with you. In a certain sense, they had no money, they had no provisions. They just sort of walked out and, and... believed that the Holy Spirit and Jesus would be with them. And they just started to do what Jesus had been doing, tentatively. But amazingly, things happened. They went into various homes of uh, the towns that he sent them into, and they came back full of joy that miracles had happened and all sorts of good things had happened. And Jesus actually says, don't uh, get too excited about the miracles. I I actually would like to see a few miracles. I don't know (laughs) about you. It's it's pretty hard to tell people the gospel if you can't show anything. (laughs) So perhaps we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss that possibility. But he says, when you went out, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's an astonishing statement. You think about it. Of everything that had happened in his ministry, it took that moment when those simple childlike ones, he says, went and obeyed. And that shook Satan's grip over the place. Last weekend you were praying in a way to shake Satan's hold over the, the suburbs. As you just quietly walk that out, that's what threatens his whole. It's not some super organised professional response. It's simple obedience. We could talk a lot about what uh, Jesus told them to do. There's, this passage has sort of shaped my life for about 30 years, I think, and even, even this morning when I was thinking about it, something new came to me. When I read it, and perhaps, Marilyn, you could put my first... There's a section in that passage where he gives them a few things to do. Now, I'm a simple guy, and I think they were being simple. I can see four things he asks them to do. I've tried to do these four things, and it's given me a, it's like a blueprint for how I can be like those 70. Before I go to that, the first thing I think we have to own is that we're not the sophisticated ones. I'm prepared to be one of those nameless nobodies. <laughs> Are you willing to be one of those? If you're not, perhaps play Wordle on your phone for a while because you've got it all together. <laughs> but the first thing he says, and he says in that first verse, when you enter a house, first say peace to that house. That's a profound thought for me. What they would have been saying is shalom, that Hebrew word. It's such a rich word, I'm I'm told, by scholars. It's that uh, everything is okay. It's all settled. You can rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's that wonderful full prosperity and everything that we can hope for in God. The Jews could use a bit of that right now, and the Palestinians, to be frank. But um, 
first say shalom. We don't have to, as we go out into these streets, we don't have to be like spiritual detectives who are weighing up everybody. You know how, as humans, we think, I'll only interact with somebody who deserves it. That's a real pressure, because we misread situations. When, when the Afghans came to me and said, would you help us in our mosque down the road here, I could have said, you're dodgy people, I'm not going to help you. But the Lord opened up wonderful times. We were able to pray with the imam when he was worried about something and he saw an absolute miracle happen, um, things like that. But you can weigh up people as you interact. In, you don't have to be dealing with Muslims. I'm, um, your hairdresser or the guy across the back fence can be just more challenging <laughs> perhaps than someone of another faith. First, say peace. Bless people. If we can put aside our tendency to be critical and to think we're superior, when you feel superior, you don't really get close to people, do you? They can sort of smell it on you a little bit. You? <laughs> we need to identify with the people we're going to as, as loved humans who are struggling, and God has a plan for every one of them. That's the first thing I do is with all my heart, I try and be a person to bless strangers. That's the first element of our welcome, is that we want the best for them. Even the ones who look a bit dodgy, often they're, they have their own struggle and it's masking something else, and they can be quite... I mean, St Paul himself looked a bit dodgy for a while when uh, he was Saul and he was persecuting people. Somebody declared peace, probably Stephen when he was being stoned. <laughs> anyway, the story wasn't over for him. The, the second thing he says is eat what they put before you. That's a very rich idea. Um, I think he's referring to give time to people. Don't rush in with your program, dwell with people. Find ways to do life with, with people. Soak in their presence. All those weeks we went swimming with the, the ladies, that was time in, with them, getting to know them, having those conversations flow. Give time to that, that's very important if we're going to connect well. The other thing, if you read it carefully, Jesus has said to them as they head off, don't take anything with you. You'll be provided for when you go. That's a strange place of weakness that we go in. We, our instinct, even as a church group, is to get everything organised, that we host the events, we tell people when they're starting and ending, we pay for it, we do all that stuff. I'm not saying that's bad. I think... The Lord's calling us into a place of, of simplicity where we just hang with people and we let them feed us. In the midst of that, we're discovering the person of peace that talks about, as, as you declare that peace, it will rest on certain people and other people it won't. We're on a journey to find the person who longs for God, even if they don't know him yet.
it's counterintuitive that we need to eat what they give us. Not just food, but we take something of value that we need from the people we're with. So it's a very, it's a real leveling of that relationship where we, we let them help us too. It's a strange thought in evangelism. <laughs> That's part of being the sophisticated ones who have it all organized, as opposed to the 70 who were the babes who just went with it. What happens when you're doing that is the honesty moment comes. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you're hanging with your, spending time with your hairdresser or your, whoever you're interacting with, blessing them, interested in their world, talking, talking, something comes up. They refer to some problem. Down at the mosque, the imam said, my brother's had a stroke in a refugee camp. What am I going to do? Beverly was with me that day, and we just said, let's ask Jesus to help. That's the moment when you can bring your faith into the, that honest need. Amazingly, the brother applied for a visa lottery to go to, from Pakistan to New Zealand. And he won the lottery <laughs> out of thousands and thousands of people. So the imam said, Jesus, he's pretty good. <laughs> he brought it up six months later. I've got another problem, could we pray? <laughs> uh, anyway. You know those moments when you're doing life with people and they reveal something that's too big for them. I've just heard I've got cancer. My grandson is in trouble with the law. All those moments, that's when you can respond. And you're giving them a taste of a loving Jesus that they've never known about. Most people don't realise that God came in the flesh longing to connect with us. Perhaps we can put up the second slide there, Marilyn. I'm referring here to verse 9 in that passage. Jesus just says, heal the sick, with an expectation that he's going to do something. To me, that healing is much richer and broader than just a physical healing in that moment. It's meeting that honest need. If you find it hard to share the gospel with, with people, give them a taste of Jesus first as, an, as a... Uh, to whet their appetite. What is it about this person who's loving me when I, I'm, no one else is? What is it about this person who's confident that God will help? That's when we tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to them. Let's just put up that final slide, Marilyn. I'm going to finish with this thought. Um, that's from the Message Bible. And it's what I quoted earlier. At that, Jesus rejoiced, exuberant in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit and Jesus are there, and he prays, I thank you, Father, Master of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the know-it-alls and have showed it them to these innocent newcomers. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. 
there's roughly 70 people in this room and I think many of you would feel you're qualified to be one of those little ones, one of those innocent newcomers. <laughs> you haven't done theological training, you're not, uh, nothing wrong with that, but it leads to a temptation that I'm in control here because I know what's going on. You wake up in the morning and you pray, Lord, could my life count today? Maybe you're moving in these suburbs. You're even sang a song that talked about turning our eyes on to what you're seeing, Lord. Let's bring joy to Jesus' heart. Each of us in this room love Jesus. We're different in many other ways, but we share that in common. <laughs> Just imagine if what he saw on that day with the 70 was rolling out through history into Paravista into Clovercrest, Parahills, as simple believers went out in his name, blessed people, ate with people, healed them, met their need and told them about Jesus. I'm just going to pray, Lord, I need to be that person too. And I pray for the ones in this room who long to please you I know they do already Lord but we th think of you watching on rejoicing rejoicing that some people will just simply obey and I pray that you would lead us help us to know who to talk to reveal the inner heart of people as we mix with them we commit our way to you Lord I pray in Jesus' name.